Reba J Meets is brought to you with the support of Van der Sanden. Driven by innovation, sustainability and craftsmanship, Van der Sanden is Europe's largest family-owned manufacturer of facing bricks, clay pavers, eco-brick slips and facade solutions. Together we build greatness. Welcome to Reba J Meets, where we get the inside track on leading architects. I'm Eleanor Young. I'm standing by the water wheel below Bath Brewery, where Phil and Ted Bradley Studios has been based for decades. Can you hear it splashing away using the power of the river? That was one of the powers we used to rely on. So why are we talking to Phil and Craig Bradley? They were environmental pioneers from early days. But over the last couple of years, there's been a renewed sense of urgency around climate action, you probably noticed. Field and Craig Bradley has been one of those spearheading the resurgence architecture. As members of Architects Declare, they've pledged zero carbon buildings by 2020. It's adapting to that, but also helping others to do so with a free carbon calculator. It comes with difficult questions about projects to take on, consultants to persuade, and your own lifestyle to tackle. So I wanted to speak to founder Peter Clegg about shifting gear for climate emergency, and to Joe White from the Edinburgh offices about making those changes on live projects. And later, we'll go over to Belfast to hear from the practices Andrew Abraham about how he's working on Mission Climate Action. This is Reba Jamie's. So, welcome to you, Joe White and Peter Clegg. I wanted to put you on the spot about sustainability in your own lives. Um, is there anything you're particularly proud of? Do you manage to recycle everything? Do you never fly? Uh, what do you do about sustainability in your own lives? Um, I mean, I suppose I kind of take a lot of the sustainability approach in my work. And I think um, you feel that's where you're being the most impactful. But actually, I have a little girl. And I think one of the things is I like to talk to her often about, you know, the positive and small changes we can make in our lives. So I think we now walk and scoot to school you know, and, and I explained why we're doing that, you know, and actually, and once you start to list out the benefits, you're doing it in the rain, you're doing it in all weathers, but actually you realise that, yeah, you're losing some weight and you're saving the planet. So I think there's little small things there we can do, but I think just actually reiterating and saying it back to yourself because you're explaining to others is really great and it sort of really reinforces um, the small things you do. Yeah, I, I, I think yeah, I think that's a, that's a great answer. I wish I'd thought of something like that. Um, I, I, the only thing I'm I'm getting to be quite proud of you. I'm probably about ninety eight percent vegetarian now, having been quite a strong meat eater. Um, uh, but I'm I'm going to find it really difficult to give up cheese and milk and stuff, which I think I ought to do. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, our, our biggest carbon footprint is through the work that we do at the practice, isn't it, really? And that's, I suppose, what we're here to talk about. Um, so let's let's go back to the practice. Uh, you're sharing your tool, uh, FCBS Carbon, for free with the industry to help them calculate mm -hmm. carbon costs. Uh, Peter, as, as a kind of founder of, of FCB, how did you decide to return to your environmental roots? I mean, this sort of development is a, is a significant investment in time, if not in money. 
Uh, yes, I guess it is. But I, I think, uh, I mean, the, the environmental roots are, have always been there. Um, I guess in the last few years, I feel that everything has changed, though. I think that, you know, we've been we've been going since 1978. We set up an environmentally based practice, um, and we were we, for for about 30 years we were totally focused on um, the operational energy of buildings. And I think the sea change that we've seen now is since we were told that we had 12 years to make a real change in uh, the, the carbon output from the profession. Um, it's all been to do with, the focus has all been to do with embodied carbon, you know, because when we build buildings now, that is the biggest uh, expenditure of carbon that goes into the atmosphere straight away, just construction. And over the 30 years, whatever, 40 years now, it's been pretty, we have actually, we've learned how to deal with operational carbon. Um, you know, we still struggle to really meet targets, but it's it's a, it's much more of an easy problem than actually constructing buildings uh, which don't use high-intensive concrete, high-intensive steel, etc. Which is a, this the biggest challenge we have. And so, so that's applying... one of the reasons why we've got, you know, going into, into the, the FCB carbon actually looks at, at both embodied and operational energy and life cycle energy, any energy use and potentially even offsetting. So it looks at the overall life cycle of a building. And, and Joe, you're using the tool on your projects. Uh, how have that, how's that shifted the focus on sustainability? I mean, the main thing really is it's demonstrable. You know, we're actually there at feasibility stage, the early design stages. We can really demonstrate our approach and really back that up. I mean, I, I just think evidence is so fantastic and it's so key. We we can talk around the houses on all number of approaches, but whether anything has the impact, well, that's yet to be demonstrated. So actually, I think to be able to say, here, here you are, Here's the results. Here's the difference it can make because we actually can show them if you didn't use certain materials or if you didn't take an approach, we can actually see here's where you would be. So it's very easy for our clients and for our consultants to come on board with that, you know, with our design decisions. And it really helps for them to justify and make decisions, especially if there's costs involved or it's something that they're not used to doing, you know. So it's it's really fantastic up through all stages, but the sooner the better on our projects. So we're going to return to issues of uh, expanding the kind of practice culture around sustainability and finding the right work to do that on, uh, as well as deconstructing design and specification to go for the greenest building. But Peter, uh, you may not want to talk about history. I know that. <laughs> but what was it like being an environmental practice in the 70s? Did you feel like pioneers, outliers? Uh, I, I guess we sort of did. Yes, you have to remember, and people, people, people find it really difficult to understand that in the seventies, you know, before people made the connection between carbon emissions and global global warming, um, environmental architecture was was based around the idea that we should save fossil fuels. We should use fewer fossil fuels because we were worried about fossil fuels um, just losing our you know using up fossil fuels so we actually the reason we got into solar energy was as an, as an alternative energy source to fossil fuels um so 
I guess in the early days, one of the first things that we did, we set up an organization in Bristol called the Urban Center for Appropriate Technology, which was a kind of really, you know, it's a very hippie edge to it, really. It was really, it was based on a, an urban version of, of Cat and Huntless, you know. Um, and, it, and and 50 years later, 45 years later, it is now still, you know, it's the Center for Sustainable Energy in Bristol. It's one of the best local resources in terms of energy in the country. Um and we, you know, we gradually developed our own ideas about passive solar design, about super insulation, as we call it then, not passive house, about, um, you know, we, we got to do the headquarters of Greenpeace and then National Trust and Woodland Trust. All of these people um, came to us, really, because uh, we had a, a real interest in environmental architecture. Uh, so, so it has we, been the foundation of the practice. Then we came to a time when... Every practice really had the word sustainability on their website. And like you yeah. said, operational carbon seemed to be the thing. People had just about worked it out, insulate well, you know, think about natural ventilation. Until, and I really do see this kind of reinvigoration of, of uh, sustainability in the light of the climate emergency. We've had Extinction Rebellion. We've had Architects Declare, led by Sterling Prize winners, of which you are one, of course. Uh, Reba 2030 Challenge. And then from the ground up, which is actually really exciting, uh, Architects Climate Action Network and Letty, it's kind of become a conviction, a mission for many architects. Um, Joe, do you feel galvanised by this? Do you kind of, can you trace your own sort of steps on it, apart from, in addition to, as steps on the scooter going to school? <laughs> um, absolutely. I mean, I think everybody's been on a, such a journey in recent years and I think certainly my knowledge and skill set you know there's been such a sort of uplift and I, I think it's just necessary we've been doing so little um you know we've been Peter aside obviously in the practice but you know in sort of the whole wider sort of profession you know we've been keeping up to date with building control practices um planning you know you're, you're always on a sort of an um, an increase or an improvement with architecture. There's so much to learn, so much legislation to keep up with. But I think this is a real gear shift at the moment. You know, we really have to up um, Nancy. And and I think that's different for us. We're not used to working at this pace. Um, we're used to something being updated and we read up on it and that's great. And we all move on. But this is not the new and improved anymore. This is a real rethink. And I think that takes a different level of commitment actually and it's something so I've been getting involved with Architects Declare up here in Scotland through the work the practice have been doing um, and sort of really making connections that I wouldn't have done before you know and really engaging with LinkedIn you know and different sort of sustainable practices different people and I think the more you communicate the more people you start talking to just grows arms and legs you find everybody's out there who's talking the same language as you so yeah it's um that's a journey I've come on it's certainly um become much more engaged. So Andrew, Peter and Joe have been talking about uh, what it takes to be a pioneer in sustainability and how important pushing from the ground up has been in the latest renewal of, <clears throat> of sustainability um, can you tell us, you are a pioneer, you, you're out there working uh, to talk to the government in Northern Ireland, you're taking Passive House training, 
Um, what does it take to be a pioneer and, and what changes can you make? Yeah, well, I think that everyone has the ability to be a pioneer. And I think it's um, it's about having a voice and knowing when to use that voice and how you can use that voice effectively. Um, and also knowing that you're always learning and that not everyone knows everything. And so you're always able to bring stuff to the table. It can be quite daunting as, as someone who's been in the profession for a relatively short time that you feel like you maybe don't know as much as the the person that's more senior than you, but actually you may find that through absorbing this new knowledge that's available to us all the time that you can have an impact. Um, and another part of that is um, that your work doesn't finish, you know, when you're finished in your office environment. There's, you know, it's an ongoing dialogue that continues throughout. And, you know, that in my experience, I've been able to apply the the lessons that I've learned in practice to various groups and organizations that I've been involved with outside of the practice. So for the likes of ACAN, um, we we have a, a relatively small but growing network within Northern Ireland. And, you know, I've been able to take what I've learned through passive house training and through live project experience, but also through the experience that colleagues have relayed to me that they've had on other projects such as Paradise and as on Croft Gardens as to how we can implement best practice and how we can, you know, shape a future. And, um, you know, that that's opened up loads of doors for us. Um, what we presented to the all-party uh, group on climate change at Stormont in the Stormont Assembly last week on embodied carbon and construction. And uh, just, just to tie back to the the first point that I made about having a voice, you know, I, I never would have felt that I would be in a position to be able to, to present on embodied carbon to the, um, to the assembly with my colleagues, but because of these conversations and, and building up a knowledge base, there is a confidence there that means that we're able to do that. And I think organizations like ACAN are really great at, at giving people those voices, but, you know, credit as well to to the ministers who who have us to these meetings and and they really do take on board what we have to say um we have meetings uh organized with key policy decision makers over the next number of weeks and uh you know it it really feels like we have an opportunity to to make change and and to and it's an empowering thing you know so and uh, i think that includes that includs the finance ministry is that right yeah yeah so we're we're engaging with um key policy makers who um they they essentially are in control of procurement and um, the building regs within northern ireland and you know the the building regs are are currently in the process of being updated and and that's being carried out um, in England as well, and so being part of those conversations, you know, it, it, it's it's great, and it is all about knowledge sharing. And I think it's about being facilitators as opposed to agitators. You know, I think that everyone has something that they can offer, and it's just having the right platform to be able to do that. And thankfully, the work that I do in practice, and the the individuals and the groups that I surround myself with, um, and the 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 guys at ACAN are, you know, crucial in shaping those views and and shaping the outlooks that we have. Um, But there's some some quite hard...
hard choices to make about about projects that you take on. Uh, Peter, you kind of uh, lead the way on that with with a team of people at FCBS um, talking about which projects are the right ones to go for. How do you make those decisions? Would you do an airport? Oh, gosh, that's a really difficult one. I mean, you know, I don't think we'd do uh, an airport for tourism out in the Saudi desert or whatever. Um, If someone asked us to look at, um, you know, Terminal 3 in Heathrow and how we could make it more energy efficient, yes, of course we would. You know, uh, we wouldn't ask get asked that. You know, and I don't I don't necessarily think it would be a really exciting project. But um, you know, more and more we are doing refurbishment work and getting really excited about that. Generally, I mean, we've have we have as you know this sort of um, uh, uh, within our portfolio we do lots of great one listed buildings and lots of really exciting work to uh, existing buildings, South Bank Centre, Alexandra Palace, and you know, uh, uh, and at the moment we're doing two fantastic um, uh, refurbishment projects on 1960s buildings. You know that are that are, are, are really significant, um, but they they drain energy. You know they 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 exhaust carbon. So actually, upgrading those is re, is a really is really exciting. Um, so there is a the, I think the future for us, and I keep telling students about this as well. The future is you've got to get excited by refurbishment, and if you want to do uh, interestingly, if you want to do. Um, the kind of you know energy where you you can you you maybe need to think less about the, the amount of concrete you use, then then you go to the global south because actually, if you look at their um, uh, you know nationally determined contributions to global warming, I mean they're way way behind us, and they desperately need. Um, the urbanization that we have gone through and they need that urbanization hopefully without expending the amounts of carbon that we have but there are huge opportunities and we're very excited about doing some of them ourselves in 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 particularly in africa east africa where we're actually you know looking at um urban futures for countries where you've got there is going to be massive changes absolutely massive changes in the next decade so uh you know that's another aspect of sustainability putting on a global scale that is actually very different i mean interesting that you talk about uh retrofit and you talk about your kind of glamorous ones and your maybe less glamorous ones where you can also make a massive uh improvements in how much energy they use joe aren't you working on one of those um darwin that's right. Yeah. Can you tell us We've, about that? That's Where quite a it? glamorous one. It? That's quite a glamorous one, isn't it, Joe? Oh, is it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was there today, and because it's not <laughs> retrofitted just yet, it doesn't look very glamorous at the moment. <laughs> just, um, just tell us what it is. So, yeah, we have this really great project underway for the University of Edinburgh, which is for a new school of biological sciences, and that's under King's Building Science Campus. So it's a big campus full of sort of, to be honest, sort of 1950s, 1960s science buildings. And they're not always the most glamorous, you know, and they're quite they're sort of um, ageing now. But right at the heart of this project, and it's a multi-phase project, is um, this 1960s concrete and steel tower. So we've got a 10-storey tower, and it's called the Darwin Tower. So that's been used as a laboratory for a number of years, but we have original facade, we have original structure, and 
original infrastructure around it. So the whole project is extension, it's infrastructure, and it's also a complete refit of the tower. And at the moment, it's really, it's coming down to being stripped right down to its skeleton. So it's a really extensive project, but really challenging. So um, I can tell you a little bit more about it. I can talk all day about the project, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, I mean, the whole approach is very um, significant in terms of sustainability. So keeping the frame, keeping the foundations, presumably, uh, that would be impossible to keep the frame otherwise. Um, (laughs) uh, Are there, you talked before about um, examining all the components, taking a project apart and looking at all the things that go into it. That's another project, I think. Do you want to tell us about that? That's, that's yeah. I mean, I suppose in terms of Darwin Tower. So what, we, what we've what we really learned on that project is actually we have taken the building apart, not me personally, but we've taken the building apart and we've actually taken sort of something that was built in the 60s and interrogated how that was constructed. And then it really sort of, the really reflective piece of, how do we put everything back? You know, how do we build back better, actually? And we've got a great opportunity to do that by working our way through a deconstruction. So that's a really interesting part of the process. And part of that process, the way we've looked at Darwin, is actually a virtual minimalist approach. So not only is that the materials better, more robust, much more sustainable, but actually trying to put less materials back into a project. So that's a really interesting point because where we can, rather than put three boards on a partition, let's put one. So these are really, they're really thought-provoking practices because actually they're down to the nitty-gritty of how we specify design and detail buildings. And what we do, and I've tried to always do, is we share lessons. So I tell people about all these insightful, incredibly dull <laughs> moments in a project to say, hey guys, did you know you could do this? And I think that's brilliant. You know, that's how we're going to learn. My goodness, the pubs are closed because you'd be very boring in a pub. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, architects on a night out. But, you know, so so that's, I mean, but I can't underestimate, you know, so if if you have 10 stories worth of something and it's a multiplier, Mm. the amount of materials, the amount of carbon. But, you know, what's great, clients love it. Contractors love it because it means less building time. It means less money. So actually, you know, and here's a thrifty Scott coming out in me, but, you know, these things, it's, it's great because zero carbon or low carbon design can also be sort of a no-brainer. You know, people really get on board with this because they can see other values and other benefits. So maybe if the plan isn't enough, you know, that's there. But, I mean, we do and definitely another – sorry, Peter – no, 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 no. I was, I was just gonna. I was just thinking. I was gonna add, you know, twenty-five years ago, we did the BRE New Environmental Office for the BRE, which was one of the, you know, one of the buildings that made a reputation for us, I suppose. And and the interesting thing is, then, I mean, that was made entirely out of recycled bricks. We used uh, recycled internal timber flooring and uh, various, there were other, I can't remember, there was, there was quite a few other materials that were recycled in it. I think it's it was easier then to get recycled materials than it is now. One of the things that we have not made progress as, uh, on as much as we ought to have done in the last 20 years is, is um, storing and recycling materials for reuse. 
And we've just got to get that circular economy working better. Absolutely. We, you, you talk about people, yes, saying, oh, less, that's great. But it's not always easy to convince other consultants, clients, uh, contractors day to day that this is a priority. How do you go about those discussions? Is it something for the start of the project or is it something you have to continue talking about all the way through? How do you do it? Um, well, we are fortunate in that we we get quite a lot of clients coming to us and who who are in tune with making changes environmentally. And I think that, uh, again, it's not just us that's changed and in a sense revitalized our approach over the last few years. The whole of the client body is more in tune with the climate crisis, biodiversity crisis. So we are, we, we are quite often ourselves anyway preaching to the converted um and that that's great and they you know they we're, we're getting pushed even by you know major developers and asset managers etc you know because they understand the value of low carbon buildings when they look 10 years ahead and and the market will have changed dramatically for them and it's changing now so um i don't know i mean it, it's um what do you think joe it's it, it we do actually we are fortunate in the kind of work that we do i guess absolutely i mean i've worked w- within other practices and we are very fortunate with the clients we work with and i i think what's happened is the benefits of the work peter and dolphus have been doing for over 40 years i think it's really recognized and i think it's really valued by a lot of the clients and i think that's because we have large we have clients with large estates you know, we have we have people who are sort of very educated, very experienced clients, and they definitely can see those benefits. But I think part of that is their message is very clear. So I think people understand what Fielding Clive Bradley, Bradley Studios is about, you know, and I think that's good. And I think it's important. And for other architects to make sure they, it is clear what their services are, what their knowledge is and what, what they are about. And, and I think that sort of instills a confidence in clients you know, that you have the knowledge, you have the passion. So I think clarity is very good because I think what we've always been clear about is good sustainable architecture produces buildings with low running costs. They have long lifespans and it creates spaces that people love to occupy. So to me, I mean, the approach is a no-brainer, but you have to get that message across and you have to demonstrate it with your projects. Um, I think what's really important is not giving away those elements and I think that takes a strength you know and 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 that takes strength it takes conviction you will lose some battles um it's hard through projects we go through all the same stages as other people we have value engineering you know that kills a little part of me every time we go through it in a project but <laughs> but um you know we have value engineering and, we, and through construction I mean, I feel like a guardian fighting the world when I'm on a site. Um, it does feel like the sharpest end of an endlessly pointy stick that is <laughs> architecture. So, you know, and I think, you know, you've just, there's so many things. You have to be strong. You have to be knowledgeable. and You have to be confident. Um, and we do, we find great consultants as well to work with. I mean, Peter, you've worked with Max Fordham for years and they're so sort of enlightened in terms of environmental design. But recently I've been working with Ramble and mm. we've been looking at a project with CLT structures and actually really designing hand in hand with them, you know, really expressive mm. structures. And it's getting quite exciting 
it's not boring you know it's this is actually things that people will come in and they can see there's a collaboration happened here and we can say this is zero carbon this is low carbon that's that's great you know and that's what it should be I think I think you've also got an, a negative carbon scheme that's uh, on the books well, we've got we've got a number we've got a number we've got i mean we're doing um we're doing a, a really um beautiful little project for king's college in cambridge which is uh, which will be ne- carbon negative for 100 years you know that was the brief to us um so you know it is clt construction and it's uh, uh, and it's air source heat pumps pvs etc you know and it's uh, and and passive house so uh, I mean, it, that's becoming sort of more commonplace. Um, and we're doing the old Paradise Street project in London, which is interesting in that uh, that too, because of the uh, embodied carbon in the timber structure, um, that, that got a lot of a lot of people, call, a lot of developers called us up and said, we'd like to talk to you about this and how it, how it works. You know, we had two or three really interesting phone calls with different developers who picked that up uh, on the, the the network, you know, the building network, and and uh, are, are are trying to figure out how to emulate what we're doing there, which is great, you know. So there is that that goes back to there being a, a lot of interest within the developer development world about uh, low carbon design. One thing I picked up from Andrew in particular was that kind of sense of being a pioneer, and as you talked about in the early days, Peter kind of the advanced guard for sustainability and I, I feel the same with Joe talking about kind of guardianship um is that is that how it feels when you're out there talking to clients and to different consultants or does it feel you are on the same page I mean Joe's made it sound like you are very much working together mm, and it's everybody's mm. everybody's up for it but there are always compromises and cost is the biggest driver of those yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it, there there are always challenges, but things have changed quite dramatically. And I, I do, uh, you know, in your in your summary of a few minutes ago, you know, you, you you talked about AD. You, I don't think AD would be there without Greta Thunberg and without ACAN, actually. You know, and I think it is the, it's it's the younger generation that have force these changes and it's the younger generation you know the letty people who are rewriting the rule books you know we're still the the older generation my generation is still working to building regulations 2013 you know that's the basis of everything we do it's the basis of briam you know it's a it's it's a really interesting situation to find that actually you know, developers are, are coming to us and saying, well, uh, you know, should we do Passive House? Should we work to Letty standards? Should we do now RIBA 2030? All of those things are not regulatory. The regulations need to catch up, and it's taking an awful long time for that to happen. But essentially, we're working in a kind of revolutionary situation where it's the, it's the young guys started out on the streets who have changed things, which is slightly like it was in our day, but we never thought of ourselves as super revolutionaries. I don't know. We were more into drugs, probably. I don't know. <laughs> Shouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> so how do architects stay ahead? Do they just keep having young people involved? Do they do they get another Greta Thunberg in? Uh, yeah, I think, yes, I think the the younger generation has got to rise to this, and they are rising to these challenges. And I think, you know, the, I think the only thing that we have done over the years is kind of stick to our principles. You know, we started out by saying we were interested in the social and environmental issues that kind of that, that formed the core values of the practice. 
we defined what those were and we have pretty much stuck with them even though the workload has has multiplied you know thousandfold or whatever but um they're still there i hope they're still there joe aren't they i don't know <laughs> absolutely i mean one of the things that i think there's a sort of experience goes a long way as well and i think experience and knowledge and I think we're all at very different stages, even within the practice. So we have very interesting conversations. And, you know, in terms of sometimes you can be very caught up in a moment and people can be very caught up in a certain moment um, in terms of this is what we must do now, Peter, or this is what we think we should do, or this is new. And Peter will say, no, 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 we've been through this. This is actually what's happening. God, how boring. <laughs> this, is, oh. this is the actual knowledge. And, but, you know, that's, I think that's really important because perspective is important. Knowledge is important. But I think also sort of energy, enthusiasm is important. And, and I think that's where we come together because we really challenge each other in-house. And I'm sure I've probably disagreed with Peter far too many times and I should um, for, <laughs> for my job prospects. But, but you know, I, I, I do like to always feel, I like to challenge people. I like to make sure that they've thought of everything. And I don't mind being wrong all the time. And one of the projects we worked on recently was um, sort of for a business park we were looking at. And it was a zero carbon business park but actually that wasn't good enough our client actually probably didn't even want mm. just zero carbon they actually expected so much of us they expected fcbs should be delivered way beyond that what was going to what was the place going to be like in 50 years time how can we really deliver something innovative and to that point we looked at could we grow our own buildings on site could you grow the materials on the site it was going to be done in phases. How could we, you know, sort of really change lifestyles? How, how could we change building typologies? So maybe I think we lost the run of ourselves really on that project, but we just got so excited. We we mm. kind of threw it all up in there. And, and I think we have great results and we're hoping to take that project forward. Um, you know, it's, it's still in very early stages, so we don't want to name it. But it's it's a really, those types of projects coming in the door, they're fantastic. Thank you very much, Peter and Joe from Field and Clegg Bradley. Thanks to Van der Sanden for their support on this series of Reba J Meets. 